First two nights of college basketball season are in the books. The action is hot, but everything is all cool here inside the Igloo. Welcome into a new edition. I'm your host, Tim Best. And the first two nights didn't disappoint across the board in college basketball nationally, but even more so in the Big East as Big East teams combined to go 11-0 over the first two days. So let's break it all down, starting with night one, seven of ten teams in action, starting with the preseason favorites from Seton Hall. They tipped off at 6.30 in Walsh Gym Tuesday night against Wagner. They won that one, 105-71. to Wagner stayed in it for most of the first half and even into the second half, but Seton Hall's defense really... Held down the fort, especially late in the game. They totaled five blocks as a team, three from Iko Biagu alone. And that and one of those three blocks what absolutely brought the house down and re-energized the crowd when it was just a seven-point game. And it started a 7-0 run that eventually led Seton Hall to taking a 15-point lead into the locker room. And again, they ended up winning 105 to 71 overall takeaway Seton Hall's offense really is the real deal Miles Powell led the way with 27 points including two four-point plays one of which in the second half was just absolutely ridiculous he was just trying to get a shot off but the overall will for him to get the shot off not just get it up but make it it was just insane it was one of those shots if you go back and watch the tape you just, your jaw has to hit the floor when a shot like that goes in. Because that's not supposed to go in. Only a guy like Miles Powell can make a shot like that. Maybe even a Marcus Howard. It really shows that Powell has become a transcendent player with his talent and how well he can score the basketball. Meanwhile, four other Pirates were in double figures. Sandro Mamukelashvili with 11, same with Obiagu with 11, shockingly high-scoring debut for the Florida State transfer in a Pirate uniform. Quincy McKnight had 10 points to go along with 7 assists, and then Jared Roden off the bench with a dozen. Other notable point totals from the game, Shavar Reynolds off the bench had 9 points, uh, Romero Gill with 8, Anthony Nelson with 7, and then the other starter, Miles Kale, only had 6 points and took just 4 shots. One of three from behind the arc. Overall takeaway, I think the biggest thing with Seton Hall, just got to tighten things up defensively a little bit. You don't want to really give up 71 points to a team that got picked finished to finish ninth in the NEC. But overall, I still think it's a solid win. They get Kevin Weller back on Saturday after serving a two-game suspension uh, that was given out to him by the school because of his role with the tampering incident to get Torian Thompson to Seton Hall from Syracuse a couple years ago. So Willard served his time. He'll be back on Saturday. I'll talk more about that game and all the other games coming up on the weekend slate later on in the show. Now, another ranked team in action. Number 19, Xavier, welcomed Jacksonville to the Cintas Center for their season opener. They got up. 21 at halftime. However, Jacksonville actually outscored Xavier 35 to 33 in the second half. Xavier offensively 
compared to shooting 51% in the first half, just 44% in the second half, including just 6 of 11 from the charity stripe. Najee Marshall and Tyreek Jones each with 17 points. Paul Scruggs had 12, and then bit of a guy who's gone under the radar, at least from my perspective, Zach Fremantle coming off the bench, 19 minutes, 11 points, and 5 rebounds. Uh, Jones, I should mention, had a double-double with 11 rebounds to go along with those 17 points. A little underwhelmed with the opening performance by Jason Carter. Came off the bench, played 12 minutes, only scored two points in that one. Meanwhile, I mean, yes, good defensive performance, but not getting outscored in the second half isn't really a good look, and they're going to make sure that they win both halves pretty handily in their next game on Friday in a much tougher game against Siena. Heading up to the Northeast, Providence hosted Sacred Heart and absolutely dominated the Pioneers. 106-60 to was the final. 59-30 in the first half, 47-30 in the second half. They held the Pioneers to just 32% from the field while shooting. 51% on their own, including making 16 three-pointers on the game out of 34 attempts, good for 47%. You know it's a good night when even the walk-on, Andrew Fonts, played four minutes, put up five points. I think the biggest takeaway, even with guys, they had seven players in double figures and really shows the depth of that Providence team. Alpha Diallo with 19, A.J. Reeves with 15, Lawan Pipkins good. Grad transfer from UMass with 13. David Duke had 11. Khalif Young, the starting center in place of Nate Watson, had 10. Malik White had 10. And then the biggest thing, I was talking about how good Emmett Holt looked in their exhibition game against Stonehill. Coming off the bench, and keep in mind, this guy has not been able to get healthy since his freshman year three years ago. And look at him now. He's 100%, and the senior from Rochester had to show a little upstate love. 16 points off the bench in 21 minutes, 5 of 7 from the field, including a perfect 2 for 2 from behind the arc. Continuing my whip around to Milwaukee, a historic night for the Golden Eagles of Marquette. They led 44-15 at halftime against Loyola, Maryland. And the crazy thing is, Marcus Howard had 30 points by himself. He was doubling up the Greyhounds by himself And then in the second half, he officially moved into first place on Marquette's all-time scoring list. He finished with a game-high 38 points. Meanwhile, Sakar Annam and Kobe McEwen, the only other Golden Eagles with double figures in scoring, they each had 11 as the Golden Eagles rolled to an 88-53 win. Meanwhile, the defending Big East champions regular season and tournament opened up their season at the Finn. Number 10 Villanova welcomed Army West Point, and another easy win. Villanova won 97-54. Colin Gillespie playing with a mask. Scored 11 points on 3 of 11 shooting. Overall, the big stars of the game, Sadiq Bey had 22 on 9 of 14 shooting, and the other guy who went 9 of 14 from the field in his collegiate debut was Jeremiah Robinson Earl. And he really proved to me, like, this kid is the real deal. I mean, he really does a little bit of everything. Yes, he was 0-3 for behind the arc, but he was getting good looks. 
And a solid 24.13 rebound performance. I think the biggest thing with him is just limiting the turnovers. He had five turnovers in the ball game uh, for the Wildcats. And I think another big thing was Cole Swider. He was expected to be the sixth man coming off the bench for this team. And he delivered in that spot on Tuesday night, scoring 18 points off the bench, four of six from behind the arc in 22 minutes of action. Meanwhile, at Wintrust Arena, DePaul welcomed Alcorn State. And the Blue Demons did an excellent job defensively holding Alcorn State to 17 of 66 from the field, including just 6 of 35 in the second half and route to a 72-54 victory. As for the box score, Devin Gage came off the bench. Charlie Moore got the start. The Kansas transfer and Chicago native put up 14 points. Paul Reed led the way. Perfect 6-for-6 from the field. 1-for-1 from behind the arc. And a perfect 4-for-4 from the free throw line. 11 rebounds to go along with that. And then the only other Blue Demon in double figures, freshman Romeo Weems. The big get for Dave Lato's recruiting class with 13 points in 27 minutes of action. Meanwhile, Creighton kind of struggled a little bit Tuesday night. They were only up 8 at halftime against Kennesaw State. They had a big second half outscoring the Owls 42-24 en route to an 81-55 win. Big night for Tyshawn Alexander, 19 points. Marcus Zigorowski tallied 18. Christian Bishop, the starting center, had 12. And the guy who got the start, in place of the injured Davion Mitch, Sharif Mitchell in his collegiate debut. He had 8 points in 28 minutes of play. However, I will say this. A little bit of a disappointing performance from Mitch Ballack. Expected to be the second leading scorer for this team. He only put up 4 points on Tuesday. Meanwhile, Kelvin Jones in his debut in a Creighton uniform came off the bench and scored 7 points in 16 minutes of play. Again, the Owls, uh, Blue Jays, beating the Owls 81-55, to and that was Tuesday night. Now, Wednesday night, now, I already talked about DePaul playing Tuesday night. They also had a game Wednesday night, and they welcomed the University of Chicago. For Chicago, keep in mind, it's a D2 team, and this is counting as an exhibition game for them. DePaul counting it towards their record. No Devin Gage, and Pantelis Zidius, the... Always fun dancing walk-on on the DePaul bench. Also got to see action in this game as well as the Alcorn State game. So congrats to him. Definitely one of the more vibrant characters the Big East has to offer. Got to see some game action in both. Uh, DePaul won that one 84-55. They're the only team in the country with two wins right now. Charlie Moore had 17 points to lead the way, including a perfect 7-of-7 seven seven from the line. Meanwhile, Marquise Jacobs had a breakout game of 16 off the bench. Meanwhile, Paul Reed, just five points, far from his performance the night before. Jalen Butts with 14, Romeo Weems with 11 of note. And another solid defensive performance, they held Chicago to just 28% from the field, 21% in the second half. Meanwhile, a bit of a scary situation with Georgetown as they welcome Mount St. Mary's for their season opener. And they got themselves down by 12 at halftime. We're down by as many as 19 in the second half. But thank God Georgetown woke up from an early nightmare 
They shot just 30% in the first half, including just 1 of 10 from behind the arc. They ended up shooting 19 of 29 from the field, including 7 of 11 from three-point range in the second half. Notably, made two out of every three shots from the field, from inside the arc in the second half, 12 of 18 as the Hoyas rallied to take down Mount St. Mary's 81 to 68. And trust me, it was not pretty. If you're Patrick Ewing, got to be disappointed with the overall performance throughout the game. However, I will say this, got to be proud of the performance from Omer Yurtsevin. Obviously, you need production from him at the center position to replace what Jesse Govan was able to do for them over the last four years. And boy, did he deliver 20 points, 12 rebounds, 7-9 from the field, perfect 6-6 six of six from the charity stripe. James Akinjo also with 20 points, including 7-15 of 15 from the field, 3-6 of six from three-point range. Mac McClung also had 16 points. In the victory, I think the biggest thing with this Georgetown team got to improve on bench production moving forward. As the Hoyas only tallied 12 bench points the entire game. Meanwhile, Mount St. Mary's only had 11. So, in a way, Georgetown kind of caught a break with that. They're definitely going to have to improve as they go into their next game, which I'll get more into later on in the show. Meanwhile, Butler welcomed IUPUI to Hinkle Fieldhouse, and boy, were they shorthanded, missing several key players, including Derek Smith due to injury, Henry Badley due to injury, and also of note, Jordan Tucker had to serve a one-game suspension given out to him by the NCAA. And if you want to talk about stupid NCAA suspensions, this has to take the cake. Over the summer, Jordan Tucker was allowed to play in an NCAA-certified summer league. However, the facility they were playing at was outside of the radius given to them by the NCAA, so therefore, because he violated that, boom, one-game suspension. I'm still scratching my head at that. because (laughs) It's laughable because it's stupid. It is so stupid, and everyone's been saying that across the board. Jeff Goodman, for one... I saw that on his Twitter feed before the before I went to the Syracuse game on Wednesday night. It's just horrible. And to make matters worse, and to add insult to injury, or injury to insult, really, Kamar Baldwin, their star player, projected first-team All-Big East caliber talent. He only played five minutes and got hurt early on in that game, which led to Khalif Battle, their star recruit freshman from New Jersey, to play 33 minutes. He tallied 11 points in his collegiate debut. Sean McDermott led the way with 26 points, while Bryce Golden added 17. And Bryce Enzi, the transfer from Milwaukee, added 11 points of his own as the Bulldogs, after a slow start, ended up steamrolling IUPUI 80-47. to And then finally, the Mike Anderson era opened up in Queens on Wednesday against Mercer. And the offense was on display in a big way. Johnny scored 59 points in the first half and 50 in the second half. Mustafa Heron with 25 points. LJ Figueroa with 18. Nick Rutherford, the Monmouth transfer, tallied 8 assists to go along with 14 points. I think the biggest takeaway, though... The bench presence of Marcellus Erlington and David Carraher. I'm telling you, David Carraher is going to be a major X-factor for this St. John's team. And he didn't get 
uh, all Southland freshman team honors last um, two seasons ago for no reason. I mean, he averaged nearly 16 points as a freshman at Houston Baptist. The kid can flat out play. He knows how to score, and he tallied a dozen points while Erlington coming off the bench. He had 17 points to go with five rebounds as St. John's romp Mercer 109 to 79. However, I will say this though: I think the defensive pressure has got to get better with St. John's, as they actually in the second half they allowed Mercer to make six of 11 three-point attempts, which is nearly 55 percent from behind the arc so that's the biggest thing that St. John's needs to fix as they go into their next game on Saturday which will be against Central Connecticut State I'll touch on all of those all those games coming up this weekend coming up later in the show but don't go anywhere I got a big time interview with Villanova alumni Daniel Ochefu coming up after this so don't go anywhere welcome back inside the igloo my guest at this time, he's a legend at Villanova. He was the starting center on the 2015 Big East Championship team and the 2016 National Championship team. He also had some NBA experience under his belt with the Washington Wizards, and now he's playing overseas in Japan. Please welcome in Daniel Ochefu. Daniel, konnichiwa. Thanks for coming on the show today. <laughs> konnichiwa. Thanks for having me, my man. Well, Daniel, first things first, how's the overseas life treating you out in Japan? Uh, it's cool, man. Life is pretty simple out here. Uh, the food is real good, uh, so I'm really, I'm really enjoying my time out here so far. I was, I was about to ask you: Is the Japanese food over there? It's got to be twice as good as the stuff you get like a hibachi grill over in the states. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I'm actually, is that de- it was definitely a hard pill for me to swallow, but Japanese food is probably better than food back in the states. If I'm being real <laughs> with myself. Hey, it, it, sometimes we got to come to that realization when we do, we're probably better off. Right. <laughs> so uh, now moving on just to talk about your college career and retrospective, you know, when you came into Villanova along with Ryan Archidiacono, Villanova, they had just come off having, I believe, the third worst record in the entire Big East out of 16 teams. So were you coming in with any expectations of – trying to change the culture there at Nova? Uh, not really. I think uh, most of us in the program kind of knew that that year was kind of like a fluke year uh, that had built up from maybe like one or two years earlier. But Coach Wright did a great job of, uh, of making sure he got the ship on the right direction again. Now, you guys were able to pull off a lot of shocking upsets that year in particular. You beat the team that eventually won the national championship, uh, Louisville, um, in the well in the Wells Fargo Center, and you guys played spoiler to a lot of teams. What made you guys so special in those kind of high leverage games? Uh, I think our preparation, to be honest, and then we were all everybody on the team was a super competitor, really believed in themselves. I think that my rookie, my first year at uh, Villanova. We just had a lot of confidence, and we were good enough. We just hadn't played with each other or anything. So when we had those magical games, like the week would be Syracuse and and uh, Louisville at Wells Fargo when they were both top five. 
and we were ranked. Stuff like that was like we kind of expected stuff like that to happen. Now, the following year was when the new Big East kind of came to form. And did you guys kind of sense in the program like, hey, this is a new chance for us to establish a new identity as, you know, an alpha male in this new league? Did you kind of have that sense in the program? Uh, I mean, I don't think we really talked about it too, too much because that's just not what we did. But um, we definitely uh, got the bad taste of the 13 and 19 season. I think that was 2011. And uh, Mm -hmm. we were, we we definitely were on the right track uh, and we're confident going into the year and then being able to win that, that early preseason tournament uh, in the Bahamas was very big for us. Now, talking about that tournament in the Bahamas, your second game of three en route to that championship, you were facing Kansas, and that was when they had Andrew Wiggins, and then for a center perspective, Joel Embiid. Um, so I got I got to imagine you um, at some point, you know, during pregame warmups, you know, you see Joel Embiid across the court, and you're like, were you thinking at any point is like, you know, I'm I'm about to face a guy that might be a star in the NBA soon. Uh, actually, he wasn't. He was at that time. At that point in time, he wasn't that uh that good, to be honest. And he, me and him were actually the same exact, like we were the same height and the same like weight and stuff. He was just really raw, really athletic. Uh, I don't even know if he played that much that game, to be honest. But, yeah, uh, I, I knew. Um, I knew he had injury issues. I wasn't sure if they were hampering him early on that season. Yeah, I can't remember uh, if I'm being honest, but definitely after that year or after that that tournament and throughout the season, you could see that he was going to become a beast. And I mean, now he's calls Wells Fargo Center the home, uh, his home with the Sixers. So it, it's you know kind of funny how things pan out. Now, um, now you guys had an unbelievable regular season that year, and. You only lost twice in conference play. Both of those times were against Creighton. And now I talked with uh, one of your former teammates, Daryl Reynolds, about a game that I refer to as the MLK Day Massacre where Creighton just came in and they just shot lights out. Um, You know, from an opposing standpoint, I mean, you you know, you kind of got to be disappointed with – you know, how the game turned out, but it, like, was there any point where you're just kind of just sitting back and you're like, you kind of just say, wow, at what they were doing? Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, early throughout the whole game for the most part, because especially in the beginning of the game when they were just really firing off, but, uh, they had our number that year for sure. Uh, for the first, for those two games we played and we definitely wanted to see them in the, uh, Big East tournament because it's definitely hard to beat a team three times in the same year, but we didn't get a chance to do that. Uh, so it actually takes me right into uh, my next point with uh, that Big East tournament. You guys had aspirations of possibly landing a number one seed in the NCAA tournament if you guys were able to you know, win out, but you ran into a Seton Hall team that ended up uh, playing spoiler. Um. Was there any um, – I'm trying to figure out the wording for this, but, you know, after that after that loss to Seton Hall, was there uh, – you know, what was the mentality like, 
you know, going into the NCAA tournament uh, the following week instead of getting that one seed that you want instead now you're on the two line? Uh, I mean, we, we never really worried about what, what uh, our seeding was, one or two or whatever it was. Because the first year, I think my my first year we were like a nine seed or whatever. So we weren't even – we were on the bubble or something. So we knew we were going to be either a one or a two seed. So whatever it was, we are going to be in a decent position. But we were just all that, – that week was definitely a tough week for us because – we uh we were just we planned on being in New York until the championship game, and then we ended up leaving what the second day of the tournament. So it was definitely mm-hmm. tough, a tough, tough week for the Nova Nation. Now, I mean, the following year, you guys responded really, really well. Um, again, another sixteen and two conference season, and then. I definitely sense that year you guys had much more of a chip on your shoulder. I mean, other than the Providence semifinal game, you guys really dominated. I mean, the one game against Marquette in the quarterfinal and then against Xavier in the title game. And well, one thing I remember is how sound you guys were defensively. I think the most you allowed in in a game there in that tournament was only 61 points. Um, What made that, what made that group just so good um, not just defensively, but just all around as a team, because even Daryl had to say that a lot of people thought that uh, the 2015 team, you know, ha- if they'd gone a little bit farther, they would have been regarded as possibly better than, you know, the 2016 team from when you were a senior. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, that group, that uh, that was uh, Darren Hilliard and uh, Jay Vaughn's senior year. That group mm-hmm. was definitely a special group. I think even if you ask me to, to this day, I'll probably tell you I'll probably take I might take that team over both the championship teams um just uh, on a regular night but we just had a lot of se- a lot of senior seniors and juniors that understood Villanova basketball and uh defensively we were just super super locked out like we were just everybody was really dialed in and uh you know it was unfortunate we couldn't we couldn't do more and what we did, we ran into a good NC State team in the second round. But if we had gotten a little further or whatnot, we would have definitely made a little more noise. That was supposed to be a big money year for us that year. Yeah, and you had Kentucky not gone, you know, 34-0 and going into the tournament. There was probably a good shot you guys were going to be the number one overall seed in the dance. Yeah, definitely. Definitely had a – I think we were, were we number two. Number two. Uh huh. Yeah. So Kentucky doing what they did definitely took us out of that. I mean, that's that team just in itself was incredible with, you know, Carl Anthony Towns leading the way, uh, Willie Cauley Stein, the Harrison Twins. Man, that 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 team. team. Oh, yeah. But now 2016, um, it ended up being your time, and you actually had a really solid season. You know, as a senior, um, individually, you really were able to put together a lot of good games. And I just remember from my time at, um, in college, the one t- the one team that you really tended to do very well against uh, was Seton Hall. And the first meeting, it just seemed like you were able to dominate. Um, was there any, you know sense of urgency I guess when you guys played Seton Hall knowing you know your your two teams were really similar and 
you know, you, there's another really good big man on the opposing side that you wanted to show that, you know, hey, um, I'm still the senior and I'm still the man around here. Oh, uh, yeah, definitely. When we, uh, for me personally, when we played CN Hall, uh, whenever I was going up against Delgado, it was definitely a very personal battle for the two of us. Even, even last year, we played we played against each other in the G League, and it was it was still personal for both of us. We were both trying to kill each other. Shout out <laughs> to him too; he's a great dude. Hope he's doing good in China. Um, but for the uh, for the team, we were definitely whenever Seeing Hall was on the map, we was definitely um, very prepared for you guys because we knew you guys were gonna give us. Uh, a tough, a tough game, and the fa- the fans, whether we were at you guys' place, or you guys were our place. We are, we always knew that the fans has a certain amount of hate for each other, so that always fed into the story of the game. Yeah. So, would you say? Um, I know Ryan Archidiakono acknowledged this a little bit recently. I think it was at a Big East freshman fundamental program, I believe it was, and he said. Um, that Seton Hall Villanova, um, like that's a real, you know, legitimate rivalry now for them, you know, compared to the old days, you know, with like teams like Georgetown and St. John's. I uh, Would you say that Seton Hall is slowly but surely becoming, you know, Villanova's primary rival and could potentially be, you know, the rivalry now in the new Big East? Uh, hard to tell. I have to think about it a little more, but we're de- that's definitely one of our, one of our teams, one of the rival teams for sure. I think uh, between them and Georgetown, uh, who else? Yeah, probably. I mean, Providence. Those, the, yeah, Providence. Those battles, those battles you guys had. I remember the one in Wells Fargo Center that was supposed to happen on a Saturday, but because of a huge snowstorm, it got moved to the following day. Yeah, and I that. I, that was a barn burner. I mean, yeah, I mean, you had Don and Archie just going back and forth, and um, like that was literally poetry in motion to me. Yeah, that was a sick game. I remember that game. We lost in OT. Yeah, there's definitely some uh, crazy battles in the in the in the Big East for sure. I, I mean, that's what makes that's what makes the league so great. But I definitely got to talk to you about the your last visit uh, to Newark and. A little bit of beef, no pun intended, I guess, uh, with a few people that were dressed as crustaceans. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I definitely got to ask you about um, that situation, you know, because, I mean, I'm pretty sure late, it was definitely in the final minute, you were at the free throw line, and if I'm not mistaken, was something thrown in your direction um, when you were at the line? That, and that- was it? Now that you bring that up, it might have been. I can't remember because I just remember some crazy times at Seeing Hall when we played y'all. But, yeah, I remember those damn lobsters on the sidelines. Um, yeah, it was – I remember it was funny too because I, I, we won that game, right? Yeah, you won by one point. Yeah, we did. I remember that. That was, that was a crazy-ass game. And then we were walking out the we were walking out the uh to the to the locker room, and then your fans were all like yelling and heckling. And I was yelling, cursing back and saying, "Yeah, we beat y'all asses!" Blah blah blah. And then we were on the bus ride back to school, and then like you guys, some of your fans were tweeting at me. Was on Snapchat. I was going crazy. 
tweeting. I remember snapping. that. <laughs> I re- you know the, I remember that because you shouted me out. I remember that because you had mentioned I had a chef apron, but it wasn't for you. It was actually for um for Kadeen Carrington. The nickname I came come up with him, it just sucks it never caught on, was uh Chef Boyardine. And um and I remember you did say some of the signs that you saw that night were pretty clever. So I you know, I'll always appreciate that, my man. For sure, for sure. It's always good when the fans get involved in this little battle between the fans and the players. Makes it more fun. And speaking of fun, that third meeting between you guys that year, and I, I still – I will f- take this to my grave. That has to be the best Big East championship game, at least in recent memory, just that overall battle between, you know, you guys and Seton Hall. I mean, you guys got down 11 at halftime, but you were still able to battle back. It was just – at least from what I saw, just the overall – back and forth between Whitehead and Chris Jenkins. It was just, it was just incredible. But I got to ask you because you were in the final play with Whitehead getting that and one, um, what, uh, what do you recollect from uh, just that moment and the play that transpired? Uh... I know you were, um, you were in the play and you, um, because of a switch, you had to guard Whitehead, and he drove to the basket on you. Because of switch, and he got the two points and the charge. He got the charge and one. Uh, it was a it was a blocking call, and and, and they scored the three point play on oh, it. Oh yeah, 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 and one. So uh, what yeah. happened there? Oh yeah, the defense we're in. We're not we're not supposed to give up. Uh, we're not supposed to give up a three, and then. My man that won us the championship, he wasn't supposed to come up, leave his man on the three-point line and come over and try to take a charge anyway. Like, we were going to be okay with them scoring a two in that situation without us fouling. But there was some there was some lapse in judgment right there. And, uh, but, yeah. On the bright side, though, you, di- you guys were able to recover strongly. And from what Daryl Reynolds, at least, uh, said when I when I talked to him was that it kind of lit that fire under you guys to really just go out and just steamroll your competition, you know, in the NCAA tournament. I mean, four of your six games that you played were just, you know, you really dismantled your opposition. And the one game that really stood out for me was the national semifinal game against Buddy Heald, where you guys beat him by 44 points. Yeah. Um, I mean, how were you guys able to, you know, A, lock him down, and B, just find a way to just absolutely steamroll that good Oklahoma team? Everybody know Buddy Buddy can't go right to get his jumper off. But I think the, uh, the uh, Oklahoma game in the Final Four, we were just a better team at that point. And they – I don't think they understood how much better we were. And um, I think we we all had a bad a bad taste in our mouth from uh from early in the season when when they beat us in where was it in the in Hawaii it was Hawaii yeah, yeah Hawaii for for like for like twenty points and that was funny though because before when we were warming up for the game you know we I mean we were all feeling pretty confident but obviously. If you lose to a team like that, you it's in the it's it's in the back of your mind because the scouting report they talk about it, 
and then it's just in the back of your mind naturally. But while we were warming up, like, so you know how each team has the half, has one half to warm up on. So we're doing our stretches and we're going to half court and some of their players are like, they're barking at us. Like, I'm just like, man, I'm just, I'm just like, man, I just hope my teammates hear this. And they definitely, definitely, all of us definitely did hear them barking at us. And we came out and we put our hands in them early and often. And buddy for, but as for buddy, it just was, don't let him go. Don't, don't let him get left. Because if he gets left, he's getting his, his step back off, and that's it's gonna be money. So we it was crazy because that was the that was his lowest scoring outage outing in in college, uh, I think his whole career. So I think wow, yeah, it's crazy that he was able to do that. Yeah. So now, obviously, the following game, the national championship was one for the ages, and. I can't even imagine just how insane the the, fi- the final sequences were between Marcus Page tying the game and then obviously uh, the winning shot. So, I mean, I, I kind of want to break this down one by one now with the, the Marcus Page shot. Um, what exactly what exactly was going on with that play? And uh, just – what was the overall reaction, you know, in the huddle after he made the shot in the timeout? Uh, so I think uh, so. Marcus's shot. We were in what type of defense we're in? The defense we're in. We don't give up a three, and we just. I know. I already knew that I could gamble like how I did because Archie was going to be with Archie. I just knew Archie would step up and contest the shot because he had Bryce Johnson in the corner and he wasn't even a three-point. I just knew Archie was going to step up. So I gambled and Marcus got it, hit that wild shot uh, in Archie's face. And then they're going crazy. But I think it was probably our team that was probably the calmest out of anybody because we are, we all knew what play we were going to run. We all, we all, we've all been like, it's weird to think to say this, but we've all put that type of pressure on ourselves, like in practice over the years, where it's like the biggest moment of our careers, and we're ready for it because that's what that's all we practice for—the biggest moment. And knowing the play, knowing what play we're gonna run, obviously helps things a lot. And then being able to 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 do all that and see the full story come to come to come to fruition it's cool and if i'm not mistaken i think you tried to run a similar play not 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 a complete uh carbon copy of it but late in the seton hall game of the big east championship i believe it looked like you were trying to run a similar play but i think seton hall did a good job of uh uh marking the trail man to avoid a shot like that Nah, it was it was the it was the same exact play, the same exact setup, and uh, it's actually the um, what happened was Archie slipped. There was a wet spot where Archie slipped, where he was. If you if you see if you watch the film, if he didn't slip, he was gonna be able to get up and attempt either for, like for the game, either a clean, a very clean look, and. Um, we, the championship, the shot in the championship game, like we ran that play 
a million and one times. Like, because we used to run it every single day, like at least 10 times every single practice over the course of four years. And we've never, I've, we've all never ever seen that option to Chris, the throwback for for the shot, ever. Like that was the, that was the first in the championship game. And then also a, another crazy thing. So the spot where Archie slipped against Seton Hall in that championship game, I, if you remember, I took the mop and I did a little mopping, little mopping act in the championship game. I, I remember was, that. Yeah, that was that was literally because of where Archie slipped. I knew we were gonna, I was gonna be setting the screen. We were gonna be doing the action there, and I knew because I dove in that same spot and left a, a skid mark. And I knew I just remember from the Seton Hall game that Archie slipped on the wet spot right in front of our bench for game. It's crazy. <laughs> wow, that amazing way you can learn, and then I mean. I don't think you could possibly end your collegiate career in a better way. I really don't think you could come up with anything better than that. Not even if you made a movie script. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's your, that's your, that's your movie ending right there. <laughs> in my opinion, we're going to have to have a 30, 30 for 30 for sure. <laughs> I mean, listen, I really want to make a 30 for 30. I mean, they made one about the demise of the old biggie. So, Hey, might as well make a make one about the resurgence of it, and right. hey, you guys are gonna be right front and center. Definitely. <laughs> um, and then obviously transitioning to your uh, pro career. Um, I mean, you got some action. Um, I mean, obviously you're more from uh, you know, you're close from closer to Baltimore, and playing for a pretty pretty close to home with the Wizards. Uh, what was that experience like for you? Oh, it was cool, man. It just uh, it got me close back, back closer to back to where I grew up and where I was born, and it was cool just seeing people from when I was younger uh, hit me up or come to the games and or link up with me and family that I hadn't seen in a while were able to come to the games and stuff like that. So playing playing for the hometown team when I was a uh, a rookie was extremely cool, and it was it was only two hours away from Villanova, so if I wanted to catch a game. It's whatever the Georgetown game. I'm right there behind the bench. That was a great experience for me. I mean, I've always gotten the sense that Villanova, you know, like it's got that family feel. And obviously, you know, the father of that family uh, is Jay Wright. Um, So, I mean, is there any memorable Jay, one memorable Jay Wright story that, you know, sticks out to you and really, you know, shows what kind of character that he, I mean, obviously he's one of the most eccentric and one of the overall most flamboyant coaches, you know, in all of college hoops. But is there any one story that really, you know, captures his essence? Man, let me think. I don't even know if I could, if I could think about this. To be honest, so many coach right stories I have. Let me think. Uh... Yeah, man, I can't pick one, man. I just, I, I understand. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean, just just to make it like a turn it like turn it into a different question, like, you know, how would you describe? Um, um, I guess the question that I phrased to Daryl was, "What makes Jay Wright Jay Wright to you?" What makes Jay Wright Jay Wright to me? Damn. <laughs> 
I think one thing that really that's that's that st- right that I took throughout my professional career in my life is his attention to detail, especially when the small details. So like our scouting reports, they were so like they were so intricate and so like it's it's almost like we had a fantasy with the other team and knowing their players and what what moves they make and if they go left or if Carrington is in the corner and we have we're playing the ISO with Whitehead at the top of the key, we know exactly what we're doing. And then just when you move to seeing him prepare off the court for like an event or he's giving a speech or something, he has his notes down. He has his assistant give him the who's who and what's not. His attention to detail is crazy, to be honest. And I will, I will also say this: that I don't think you're you're gonna find a better dress coach in in all of college basketball than him. Not yeah, no doubt. Definitely not, man. And I, I get some I get some stuff done from his tailor too. And <laughs> there's nobody being gave in college basketball or professional basketball, if I'm being real. Um. Yeah. So I'm trying to think what the. Um. I'm, well, I might as well, I, I might as well do this. We we got some time. It's time for segment that I always like doing. It. It's a segment. Obviously, everyone knows what the hot seat is, but here in the igloo, it's the cold seat. So <laughs> I'll be ready. I'll be ready for some quick hitters, man. All right, I'm I'm here for it. All right. Uh, best place to get a bite to eat on the Villanova campus from your days. Best place to get a bite to eat the law school. Law school. What kind of yeah. what kind of food they got there? They had they, they used to switch it up every day, but that was definitely the best food. Breakfast and lunch. They didn't serve. They didn't have. They didn't have dinner. So breakfast and lunch, you had to get there. And it was it, it was it stuck because it was like away from, like is is in the law school away from everywhere else. Like you have to go all the way to the law school to get the food. Definitely worth it though. All right. The Pavilion or Wells Fargo Center, where'd you like playing best most? Uh, If we had a huge game, like we had um, like a top 10 matchup or top 15, Wells Fargo, just so because more people. But any other top, if it wasn't a top 25 game, the Pavilion. I mean, what, what makes that place so tough to you? Uh, I, I can't tell you now because it's brand new. I haven't seen a game in there. Yeah. But before, mm. you know, it was just the culture, the vibe. The it was old school. It was, and then the team you're playing against is a lot of pride in those players. <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, I'm pretty sure uh, back in the day, you guys would actually you know come out through the student section out of the court during pregame, right? Yeah, yeah, we definitely used to run through the whole the whole student section, getting all that energy. All right. Um, toughest big man you ever had to guard between the Big East and really any other opponent you Steven faced Adams. at Nova? Steven Adams. Yes, easily. Freshman year. We were both freshmen. He was like – he was this, the the toughest big man I had to guard before I had to start guarding him was was Muftal Yaru. And he was my team. He was a he was a senior when I was a freshman. He was just 
a beast, and it was just I couldn't do nothing with him strength wise. And then we played Pitt, and Stephen Adams was on the scene, and he was seven one, and like two sixty. Well, he was like nineteen. We were both nineteen, and he was manhandling Moof, and I just knew I couldn't do anything with him. So it was I don't even know how much I played that game. I think we won that game though. I don't know, but Stephen Adams for sure. Just strength wise, he was. I couldn't do anything with him. Still can't. Toughest, at, yeah. So toughest atmosphere, toughest road atmosphere you ever had to play in. Toughest road atmosphere in the Big East. Yeah, let's go with uh, that. Uh, in the new Big East, seeing Hall probably up there. Uh, Who else? Georgetown. Mm. Uh, Butler. Oh, that might that might take the cake right there. Butler. Yeah, Hakel, man. Yeah, Butler takes the cake right there. Um, let's let's see what let's see what else we can do. Um cheesesteak, over or underrated? Uh I don't like cheese, so I, I don't oh. really, I really get into them too much. Fair enough. <laughs> I mean, I, I I know I know people who like who just don't like it. It's just a, it's a strange thing, but there are people out there. So I mean, I will. I'm full, tell, I'm, I will tell whoever doesn't like it that they should definitely try one in Philadelphia, one hundred percent. But if you if you're like in California or somewhere else, don't even bother. Like, get the original. If not, just just pass. Exactly. It's like going anywhere, but like the East coast and maybe Chicago for pizza. Right. <laughs> um, pregame meal of choice. Pregame meal of choice. Damn. I don't know. I don't like to eat too before the games too early nowadays. I like on game days, I eat, eat breakfast and then maybe a All snack, right. a snack for lunch. Maybe if that. Okay. All right. Um, all right, so let's, oh, um, I know superstition in sports was a big thing. Were you, were you one of those guys that had like certain superstitions or rituals? Yeah, in college, I was big time, huge superstition, superstitions guy in college, but I'm not anymore. I think in college, it was like, I just knew what the routine was as far as myself and the team. And then if some certain things didn't happen, and I would have to knock on wood, like, or just ask them, ask somebody to literally just do, like, like say, like, if Chris would normally come and dab me twice or some something like that, and he didn't do it this game, I'd be like, oh, you got to come dab me again, or I have to knock on wood. Wow, those minute details. I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to, quote Michael, to quote Michael Scott, I mean, I'm not superstitious, but I am a little stitious. <laughs> Um, and, and speaking of that, um, any any TV shows you like to binge on Netflix or any other platform? Uh, if you can name a show that I haven't watched, I'll be surprised. <laughs> wow! All right, so yeah. um, well, so uh, what shows have you watched? Um, from Breaking Bad to Desperate Housewives. Desperate Housewives, okay. Yeah, everything in between. <laughs> 
wow. I remember when I was like, my mom used to DVR Desperate Housewives like all the time, man. Wow. Desperate Housewives. That could, that, that show was cracked. I can't even lie. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I was not expecting this conversation to go like this, but here we are. <laughs> oh, man. Um, if, I, I, if you – okay. You're, you, all right. I'm, I think I might have found the show that you need to watch if you haven't yet. I don't know if your style of humor is going to be tailored to this, but Big Mouth. I'm telling you, man. Big Mouth? Okay. It's a it's a Netflix original cartoon. Um, I'm pretty sure Jordan Peele does voices for yeah, it. I think I just seen it the other day. I, it's it's really weird, but really funny if you get used to it. Okay, I might have to give it a try. I like I like suggestions for my shows. All right, all right, all right. Now, um, fa- um, favorite Japanese dish that you've tried over there so far? Oh man. Oh man, I'm I'm you know I'm a big time eater. Big time. Let me think. I, mean, I can imagine you got a wide palate. Yeah. Pause though. Let me think. Oh, uh, I guess having real ramen. I guess that's that. that real was, ramen. Yeah, that was that was pretty that was pretty good because I had ramen back. In the states, but then it's obviously it's different out here. It's just you know, I guess Japanese. It's the real deal out here. And then um, what else? They got oh, Kobe beef for sure. Kobe beef. Oh, that yeah. I I can't I can't. That's gotta be. That's gotta hit the spot. Definitely from Kobe, Japan. It's yep. Very, just very, so just. Just so my people know, it's not pronounced Kobe, even though it's spelled the same way. It's right. Kobe. Kobe. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I know your nickname, you go by the nickname of Chef, but do you know how to cook? Yeah, I do. I do know how to cook. Uh, All right. The thing well, about me is from well, my cooking skills, I'm, I'm not as good as my mom or my girlfriend or any five-star restaurant that I like, so... I just summed it up to I like fine dining is one of my hobbies because I can't cook as good as others. All right, so um, wh- what's one dish that you really enjoy cooking? Man, some good old breakfast, some eggs, bacon, sausage. Maybe we throw the pancakes on them if it's the weekend. Okay. All right, all right. Now, how do you like your eggs? Uh, I like them scrambled, but I'll take sunny okay. side up every now and again. All right, and then then with your bacon, do you like it a little bit crispier, a little bit less cooked? Uh, a little bit crispier for sure. Okay, yeah. yeah. See, for me, like I like, I just like the right amount of crisp. You know, like if you if you have it too crispy, it's just like you're gonna hurt your teeth if you if you bite into it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel it. I mean, listen. I I mean, I was talking with um. If you remember John Fanta, I was talking about food with him yeah, for quite a long time. Yeah, I could definitely. I could talk about food for about an hour over here. I definitely do this food scene big time, internationally now that I play overseas. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah. It's, it's it's always great to you know 
you know, explore foods from all around the world, man. So I guess the last question I got for you, um, I, I know your, uh, your heritage is you're from Nigeria originally, correct? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, the influx of Nigerian talent and really just uh, African talent in general, just in the big East has really been on the rise with guys like Mike Enzi and now Ike Obiago at Seton hall. You had uh, Kasum Yakwe from Mali, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, just to name a few. Um, So, I mean, I mean, coming from your standpoint, I mean, uh, how have you viewed uh, the influx of uh, African talent uh, into college basketball lately? Oh, it's great, man. It's crazy because when I was uh when I was younger, that was when it was really, really, really kicking in as far as I'm just in the mix and seeing guys my own age and a little bit older go to college and now now today it's not it's not as uncommon. So I you expect to see a Nigerian kid at a high school, at a prep school, getting ready to go to a division one school. It's very good to see that type of stuff. And I'm getting involved with doing that type of stuff as well, trying to start a little pipeline back to the States and give kids the opportunity to to brighten their futures. I mean, I don't think we can really end this on a more positive note. So, Daniel, really appreciate your time. Uh, best of luck over in Japan. And, you know, whenever you come back to the States, I'm sure we got to link up. For sure, man. I appreciate it. Never, never in my in my time would I did I think I'll be doing a podcast for a C and Hall guy, but appreciate you being <laughs> being cool. If you I if mean, you see those damn lobsters, tell them I hate them. <laughs> you know what? I'm gonna be back in Jersey in February, so I, I will make sure to relay that message. I'll remember that. <laughs> Sweet man. Appreciate you. All right, Daniel. Me. Yep, of course, man. Thanks for being my guest and uh yeah, best of luck in Japan, man. All right, man. Take it easy. Thank you. Yep, you too. Thank you. Back inside the igloo, thank you once again to Villanova great Daniel Ochefu for stopping by. Really talked about a lot, and I'll tell you what, that that had all the entertainment value that I could have ever wanted with that. So, I know you're ready for the weekend. I'm ready for the weekend. So, let's get down to it. Let's preview this weekend's slate across the Big East Two games on the docket for Friday. Number 19, Xavier welcomes Sienna. And Sienna, by the way, they possess one of the best players in the entire country, in my opinion. So it'll be interesting to see how Xavier will contain him. That'll be Friday night at 7 o'clock. Meanwhile, DePaul will play their third game in four nights when they welcome Fairleigh Dickinson, the defending NEC champions. That'll be 8 o'clock on FS2. And then on Saturday, a bunch of afternoon games and then a nighttime game. Central Arkansas will visit Georgetown at noon on Saturday. Followed it up at 2.30, another game inside Walsh Gym for number 12 Seton Hall. This time they'll welcome Stony Brook out of the America East. Again, that'll be at 2.30. It'll be on Fox Sports Regional for you people out in the Northeast and the metropolitan area that'll probably be on the Yes Network. 4 o'clock Eastern on FS2 across... The Bridge, St. John's welcomes Central Connecticut State on FS2. That'll be at 4 o'clock. Not too long after that, 4.30 Eastern at the Dunk. Providence welcomes NGIT. And then capping it all off at 7 o'clock Saturday night, Butler will welcome the Privateers of New Orleans. 
Tip-off set for 7 o'clock inside Hinkle Fieldhouse. And then after that, no games on Sunday, but starting Monday night, Monday through Thursday, eight of the best games you might see in non-conference play all year is the annual Gavit Games. Got a loaded slate. I'll have Patrick Madden from the Big Biggies blog to talk about all of that. And I'll also have a special guest, Seton Hall Athletic Director Brian Felt will join me to talk about all the buzz surrounding Seton Hall's basketball team, something we haven't seen at the Hall in nearly 30 years. And he'll also talk about the upcoming Teddy Bear Toss. And it, well, it'll be in the past when we talk about it then, but the Teddy Bear Toss that Seton Hall will be doing at Walsh during both the women's and men's game. They're both playing a doubleheader. Women are going to be playing at 11 a.m. Saturday while the men tip off at 2.30. It's a real doubleheader. Tickets good for both games, and there will be a teddy bear toss to benefit children in the area at halftime of both of these games. I'll talk to Brian about that, as well as their big Prudential Center opener Thursday night when they welcome Michigan State. So, until Monday, this is Tim Best signing off from the Igloo. Thanks for tuning in. And we'll see you on Monday.